Let's Make It Count is a campaign to help the next generation learn about their community and world through data. This week, I'm joined by David Curry. David, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. I, I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here with you. David, you bring over 20 years of experience in software development analytics. You've helped companies like Blue Cross and Blue Shield and Weststat use data to provide better service to their customers. And from there, you started your own company. Tell us about your journey. Sure. So I um, I kind of fell into web development right when it was taking off in um, the late 90s, around 97. I was working for Westat and, we, and I, I was creating um, online surveys. And that was sort of my first introduction to using data and collecting data for uh, a bigger purpose. My career did take me in the path of mostly software development, but it's always been on large-scale enterprise data systems. I, you know, I was a developer for, say, about 15 years. I got into management, and I was first introduced to data science around, I guess, 20, 2013. I worked for a labor union, one of the largest labor unions in the States, and we put together uh, a new data group. Um, in this data science group, we pulled together a lot of data we had on membership, political data, and we were able to answer questions like, you know, how many members would we lose in this state if this governor is elected? Or how likely are these people to go out and vote in this region? And that really kind of opened my eyes. I knew, a lot, I knew about machine learning from the kind of the programming side of things, but using data to directly affect uh, and influence business decisions, that really captured me. And when I left that job, I became a, a chief technology officer for a startup. And then from there, started my own consultancy. So that's uh, a summary of the journey. But data has been a common thread throughout. And um, using data for business is really exciting. You touched on some really interesting elements of the field of data science and how it's all come together. I know back when I was in college, there wasn't a field called data science. It wasn't a thing people were studying directly. I mean, over the years and really in the past decade, it's come together where folks with different backgrounds, perhaps a combination of statistics, computer science, and other fields have been brought together and brought in by businesses who who have a need for this capability. And as you pointed out, organizations, they need to make better decisions and they need to be able to provide better service to their customers or their, to their constituent in some cases. So that's fantastic. I think your journey speaks to that. You know, you and I first got connected through an online course that you're a part of called Business Science by Matt Doncho which I absolutely love the course. And you work on a weekly basis with Matt on the weekly learning labs topics where you pick a very practical use case of data to supplement the course. So one question I wanna ask is for someone who's completely new to data science, the way that topics are taught, it's very different than the traditional classroom. So I wanna get into, get into online communities because when you're learning online, it's self-paced in nature and it feels different. Sometimes you can get stuck, sometimes you can get frustrated or just plain out intimidated. And so with all the new tools and terms and jargon, what advice do you have for students and why is it important to join a community for the first time when you're taking on a new topic like data science? Uh, sure. So it is it is kind of like the wild, wild west. I mean, um, there's tons of courses online. Some of them, ain't, you know, have different sort of objectives and, and angles. But I look at the the teaching, the online teaching as three major components. One is sort of teaching the skills, also having some kind of instructor assistance, and then a community around learning. It's very rare to find uh, an online course with all three of these. 
most of them will focus on just teaching the skills. And then you're lucky if you can get one with teaching skills and instructor assistance or teaching skills and community. I think if, if, if there's someone going directly into learning online, it's a good idea to try to understand what your learning style is or what your preference, how you like to learn. I know not everyone has that introspection. I, it took me a long time to figure out the best way I like to learn. If you go into it understanding how you like to learn, it might help you gauge which courses might be better, best for you. Like for instance, I really, really enjoy learning by projects. I like to get an introductory of the, of the topic and then thrown into kind of an easy sort of real world project. And then after that backtrack, learn the concepts and the theory. And then the next project can sort of build on the previous one with new concepts. That's the way I like to learn. Some other some other people might might like to learn as many as the concepts as they can before actually doing any work. And so different courses take different approaches. Also, it's a big challenge because everyone is sort of at a different journey for their learning. And, you, you know, you have to try to figure out uh, which course is, is at the right level of advancement for you. And then, like you said earlier, um, data science is this sort of convergence of multiple disciplines. And, you know, there's a bit of statistics and probability and some linear algebra and you got coding and then you have some domain knowledge for whatever problem you're working on. So it is very challenging. I, I think I, I concur with you there. And I would just say that um, trying to get a sense of the landscape of what's out there, identifying where you are in your learning journey, and then picking a combination of courses uh, to help you over that bridge and get to the next level. I couldn't agree more on how with project-based learning, I find it to be an enabler. It puts your skills to the test. It helps you uncover new topics and new challenges than perhaps anything else you've come across before. So I'm a big proponent. It, it kind of captures the curiosity. It frames the problem and kind of and puts it in context. And not enough educators use this style of teaching. And maybe it's for a reason I don't know. But yeah, it just, it, to me, it seems like a good way to go, particularly with online courses. What I'd add is a big hurdle that I've had to overcome is this feeling of, wow, I'm just Googling everything to get help. Maybe I got some error in my code and it just won't run. And I'm sitting there, I'm going to Google, I'm going to Stack Overflow, I'm going to GitHub. And all these things are new to me and I just can't get out of my head that, okay, it's it's normal. It's fine to go to Google something 10 different times, different combinations to figure out how to progress with this error. And so the learning pattern is different when you're doing software, or you're doing data science. And we don't need to necessarily commit to memory the syntax perfectly or to understand every single architecture. It doesn't happen like that. So I think it's fundamentally different than how we learn in school sometimes. That's totally okay. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. One thing we'd like to do on this podcast is break down different roles in the field. So can you describe what's the difference between a data analyst and a data scientist? And when would one choose one versus the other? Sure. So this, I mean, this stuff can really get confusing to you. Um, I think that, so just as a, a bit of a historical perspective, you know, a data analyst, that job role or job function has been around for a while. And I think it's, it's one that sort of has been a combination of a data analyst and a business analyst. So maybe those two were interchangeable in the past. 
as data science has gained momentum and that, you know, we've, we've given a, a, a label to that type of work, data analysts and data scientists begin to, to have a lot of overlap. So the way I like to look at it is a data analyst is a person who does some sort of data engineering tasks where they're gathering requirements, collecting data and, and cleaning data and moving data between different repositories. And they also do some business analysis, such as um, creating visualizations or dashboards for stakeholders and clients. Um, they present technical work and, and things like that. I believe that a data scientist does the exact same thing as, as, as the data analyst description with the addition of modeling or more sophisticated modeling, such as machine learning um, and more like probabilistic and statistical models. It's one of those things where you might ask 10 different people the same question and you, you, you're likely to get 10 different answers. <laughs> but um, but I, I think that's one way to look at it is they, they both work to organize information, collect information, uh, make some sense of it and make it available to others. But a data scientist has a little bit more statistical and modeling experience, particularly in the machine learning area. So let's say, for example, you're inside a larger corporation. Are these roles on the same team or how does a company go about building out a data capability within their organization? Yeah, that's really good because a lot of this structure does depend on the size and sort of the maturity of a data group. A lot of organizations have data analysts as part of a, a specific organization. So maybe your marketing organization within the company has a data analyst maybe your um, finance department has a, an analyst. But when you formalize a data science group or data analytics group, you begin to bring, it's an effort to bring all of the organ, all the business data in one central place, do the analysis and everything in, in that, under that department. And that's when you start to get these variations of roles. Um, so if you, you know, if you go to a smaller organization or one that doesn't have a lot of data maturity, they, they may have individual analysts in different departments. But um, as the organization gets larger and improve on their data mat maturity, you'll have data scientists, data analysts, machine learning engineer, and so on and so forth. There's actually, um, I took a, a natural lang language processing course through deep learning AI. And they have a, uh, a resource called workera.ai. Um, and if you go to that site, there's a resources tab and you scroll down, it has all of these job titles laid out. And they have a nice visualization of the job functions. Uh, it's a table with job functions by job title. And they're color coded so you can sort of see the overlap between different job roles and it, it gives you a better perspective of the landscape. I'll definitely check that out and put it into the show notes as well. This is great because I've talked to a number of colleagues and friends who have been trying to break into the field of data science and there are these different paths. Some folks I could see as being more successful or just enjoying more of the customer facing aspect of it in kind of an analyst role and some just want to do the technical work. So that's great too. So great resource. Sure. I, and I think that is very important, too, because I, I know for me personally, I like to use technology to and I, and I also kind of like to see the end result of what I'm doing. 
I remember in my programming career, I got a little, it got a bit stale because a lot of the stuff I did was just sort of, you know, backend components and, you know, modules, and you never really see anything. It's kind of all in the cloud. But with data science, you're also working to share information with others. Uh, and that's a lot of fun. But if you're the type of person where you just want to sort of work on the backend stuff, then maybe being more in the machine learning uh, engineer or software development side of it would be a better fit for you. So yeah, this resource is nice because it 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 helps you identify the different types of functions that you can be ex- that are expected from different roles. That's great advice. Let's shift gears a little bit and get into some fun use cases of data. So you were a mentor at the Washington Nationals Youth Baseball Academy, which sounds like a really cool program. And what I found was interesting when I started looking into it is it brings a mathematical and scientific approach to the game of baseball. And overall, it's a very well-rounded program, but I'm curious, how did you bring in the science of sports into the program? And you were part of that for a number of years, correct? Oh, that was a lot of fun. Um, You know, the kids, so these were, I believe, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders in Washington, D.C., and from, a I think, two to three different elementary schools that were in this specific area. Um, so they would come in after after school, uh, do their homework. Then they would have a dinner break. And then we would do some STEM training and then go outside and play baseball. A lot of the STEM training revolved around baseball activities, but, you know, interweaving concepts in the sport of baseball. So think about things like you know, how fast does a ball travel? What's the effect of a ball falling based on how how hard you throw it? So different concepts like that that are, you know, we didn't go very much in depth, but we put some numbers behind it. We talked about the science and mathematics of it. And then we would go outside and just play, incorporate the, um, the concepts that we just talked about in the classroom outside. So you know, have all the kids throw it and say, oh, I, w- I wonder how f- how hard you threw that. It started to fall um, a lot quicker than, say, Steve's over there. Well, one big challenge with this is, um, you know, having kids go to school all day long and then they cut and then they do their homework and then they eat. They're pretty tired. So a lot of times we had to really be creative in, in sort of getting them into the topic because at the end of the day it is still learning even though it's it's playing at the same time but it was a lot of fun that's such a cool example and i love how you're able to meet people where they are and tap into their passion because people enjoy different things sports i know growing up it was something that i loved a lot of a lot of kids love and so we were able to help bring them into data and bring them into statistics starting from their passion and then break it down and you know not to mention there's there's been so many cool things in culture, like the Moneyball movie and things like that, that that now just analytics are much more important in that area. So great example. Yeah, that's right. And this I think this is where the project based learning comes in again, because, you know, you might do a project and think nothing of it. You get through the exercises and you learn the concepts. But then you hit another project, say a sports project, and that really sparks kind of sparks your interest. So you just never know what you might be interested in. But I think exposing um, people to different ways to use data and how it's being used um, is really eye opening. You bet. I want to shift gears a little bit and get into some data use cases. You know, our national competition runs through the end of year. It coincides with the 2020 census. And one of the cool things we like to ask our, our guests on the show 
is to break down some really interesting use cases of where data may be applicable. And we look across all fields. So you being an entrepreneur, you having a marketing background, I wanted to pick a fun one and talk about how would we open up a small business? And in this case, let's pick the example of a food truck. So you're based in the DC area. If you went about trying to find the optimal location of where you would place and open up a food truck in DC, how would you go about doing that? What publicly available data sets might you use? Would there be other data that would inform how you would pick that optimal spot? Because ultimately you want a lot of foot traffic hitting up your food truck and putting in orders, whether whether you got a taco shop or a barbecue spot or a sandwich spot. So how would you go about doing that? Okay, so this, um, so it's a food truck in DC and we want to find out the optimal location. This really falls into the market research category and market sizing. So one thing about marketing, a lot of times when people are starting businesses, they have a great idea and they, they say, oh, you know, I think that everybody's going to love tacos at lunch. We're going to do a taco food truck. But instead of saying, starting with, we're going to do a taco food truck, you should rephrase the question and say, would people like a taco food truck? And so what you really want to do is you want to really identify the market that you can serve. And this will help dictate where you put the truck, the types of items you sell, and that sort of thing. So so I think high level, you can you can look at sort of a potential market. So the potential market is all of D.C. Uh, and then you work to narrow that market down. What's the available market? And that would be people that are interested in what you're offering, plus have the means to purchase it. Then you can narrow it down even further. What's the market we can serve? And that could be a lunch crowd downtown. It could be uh, the tourist crowd during around the monuments, um, or it could even be sporting events. And you could use uh, different data sources to do this. With market research, there's primary research and then there's secondary research. I think for the students who might be interested in this um, assignment, you would use secondary research. So these are data sources that are readily available to you and often free. And so you could use um, government and census data to to get. So you could use census data for population. You could use labor and statistics data for employment and income and trying to get a sense of what people can spend. Uh, you could use Chamber of Commerce for local data, USDA uh, data for food and beverage data to get a sense of how popular is Mexican food or, you know, what's the spending on Mexican food? What's the spending on vegan food and, and trying to compare, comp contrast what might be most profitable for you. Um, and I think that's a very introductory way to start to collect information and compare different ideas and figure out which one may work best. I really like where this is going. So it sounds like data is available for small business owners that they can leverage to understand some of the local dynamics in terms of customer base. And then they can even go deeper and, and dive into competition. So let's say we got the food truck started. It's going well. We're a few months in. And now we want to optimize for profitability. We want to make sure our menu and our pricing and the numbers work out better than when we first started. We took, we took an educated guess to get it off the ground, but now we actually want to really optimize that profitability. So let's talk about how would we use statistics and how would we use math and maybe three months worth of order data 
to go about figuring out what would be different menu items or perhaps a, a, a menu combo that we would put together? Oh, yeah, this is exciting. This is the type of stuff that I work on. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, so I, I would use just basic descriptive um, analysis, trying to understand what is your sales by product over time um, and understanding seasonality. You know, when are things more, one thing more popular than others? This will actually help you um, with your inventory as well. So, you know, if you have a, a taco or Mexican food truck, you have to get the ingredients and, you know, have the supplies and everything else that go along with it, the condiments. So um, understanding the popularity of things throughout the year uh, and the seasonality when things sell more than others will help you properly prepare your inventory. Um, part of this descriptive analysis, you can also... You, you can also identify the most popular items and you can you can figure out which items are most frequently purchased with another item. Um, that would be a very base level thing that you can do just with uh, descriptive analysis. OK, so that sounds pretty approachable. Let's take it one level deeper. So let's imagine we exceeded all of our expectations in this business. And then we now have five trucks across the city and we actually want to scale even further. So we have an opportunity to open up a sixth truck, perhaps based on the profit so far or going out and getting a small business loan or some investment to scale. And we want to make sure we do it right. And so we're going to apply some more advanced techniques using data science because we're talking about bigger bets. So how would we apply data science to make sure as we scale what really started as a mom and pop shop and to now a legitimate full-scale organization that's growing fast, how would we apply data science to that? Okay, so I think I'll start with the pricing side. Um, so one thing you can do, so the one challenge with this is if people, when people are coming up to a food truck, it's very transactional. They just purchase their item and they're on their way. You know what they bought, you know what was purchased and the amount it was purchased, and you can do analysis with that, but you don't know who bought it. So you don't have any information on the individual on the, the individual behavior of your customers. So I probably would first implement um, a loyalty system. So, and this is how loyalty cards work. Offer a loyalty card, you sign up with your email address, maybe purchase three items, you get 20% off your fourth item. And so this is incentive for a person to continue to come back to you, but it also gives you a unique identifier on that person. So now when they purchase over time, you can get more granular with your analysis. And, and so you know the habits of individual purchasers, and then you can try to group common behavior amongst those customers um, to basically promote uh, products to them. So I would start off with a loyalty card, um, start tracking purchases by individual. And I think for sort of the more data science, um, intermediate to advanced level of things, you could do something called RFM analysis. So that's recency, frequency, and monetary value. And what this does is it, it helps you understand how recent do people purchase, how frequent 
are they making their purchases and what's the average amount that they're spending? And this type of analysis will help you cluster or group similar people with similar purchasing behavior together. So you can imagine a person who comes and, and buys two tacos every day at lunch is very different than a person who comes and buys one quesadilla once per month. And so when you promote to them, if you, if you want to send them an email about a sale, you would want to send um, sales emails to the taco person maybe more frequently and more in line with the types of items that they like versus the person who only buys one quesadilla uh, per, per month. So I probably would use uh, an RFM um, analysis and, and you can do this with different um, uh, machine learning algorithms and, and, and use them to figure out which model performs the best. And basically, once you have those clusters or those groups of customers, you then um, use email marketing to send promotions, relevant promotions to each of those groups. So just to make sure I understand, so what it sounds like you're describing is a way to understand different types of customers, the customers that are perhaps your power users or frequent your your food truck more regularly, users who, who come to your food truck but not as often, different types of users, so maybe an individual versus a corporation or company who comes for a catering order. And based on that information, the intent would be how do we serve all of our customers better based on this information we have. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I think, you know, if you just have one truck, you can kind of manually get a sense of this. But once you have five trucks going and you're thinking about a six, um, using um, data science modeling and machine learning, it, it really helps expedite this process. So just to try to recap here, so for aspiring entrepreneurs that are listening, there's a few things that you can do to take a data-driven approach to starting a small business. There's a lot you can do on your own. So there's publicly available data sets. There's tools that you can use to, to apply math and statistics to get a good understanding of how you want to start your business. And then as you progress and as you grow, there's more advanced techniques that you can apply using data. And for a lot of that, it's not to say you have to do that yourself. So as an entrepreneur, and in the case of the food truck, you're also the chef. No one's expecting you to also be a data scientist. You can go and, and get that help from an outside expert like David. But just know that these techniques are available. And as your business grows, you can apply data to help grow your business and fulfill your vision of what you want to do. Yeah, this one. Yeah, there's one thing I want to add. I just so one thing that I think people should be aware of is these everything we're talking about today are are our data processes, you know, when it's all said and done, you want to be able to use information to um, create a better outcome. And once the process is in place, you have it in place and, and you can uh, make it more sophisticated or you can keep it as is and, re, you know, rerun it every so often to, to get an up-to-date analysis. So basically, these are very much processes for your business. Well, this is fascinating. And as we head into the lunch hour, you've got me quite hungry talking about food trucks. Yeah, yeah. I need some Mexican. That's one of my favorites, by the way. Well, this has been a great conversation and a lot of fun geeking out on data. Thank you so much, David. And thanks for your support for Let's Make It Count. 
I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I need some Mexican food.